0: Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here today. Happy Father's Day to you. And uh, I, uh, I love being a dad. Uh, it's, one, it's one of my favorite absolute things. I, put a, I place a lot of value on being a, a, a father to my girls, a grandfather to my grandson. Uh, and I place a lot of value in being a spiritual dad uh, to people who receive me as a spiritual dad. I remember when I uh, first moved to town. uh, Suzette and I moved here in September 1st, 1989, and and I pretty much moved here thinking, uh, unless the Lord redirects our lives. We're going to invest our entire lifetime into this church uh, and into Asheville. And that's a big commit. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge commit. I didn't even know what that actually even meant. I just knew that I, I wanted to invest a long season of time because my view of spiritual leadership and my view of pastoring a church is it's not a job that you sort of escalate to new levels. Uh, it is literally spiritual fatherhood. And uh, I remember having a conversation with a pastor when I first moved here, and uh, he said he'd been here a couple of years, and I said, I said, how long do you think you'll be here? He said, as long as things are going good. And uh, I thought, <laughs> I, at first I wanted to board out, what? Uh, you know, but I didn't. But uh, I thought, wow, just think if a dad took that posture towards their kids or a, or a spouse took that posture towards their spouse. As long as things are going good, uh, I'm here with you. But as long as, when things get difficult, I'm going to bail. And uh, I just, uh, I, I really love fatherhood. I think it's a great thing. And I just want to encourage you, um, if you, if you are a dad, that it is a huge role. Uh, it is worthy of your best effort. Uh, it is worthy of time carved out of your life because kids spell love, T-I-M-E, <laughs> and um, it, 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 to have it hold a big role in your life is a vital thing. We live in a world that doesn't exactly exalt fatherhood, and I just want to say it's caused more trouble than we could imagine, uh, the lack of fatherhood, so God bless Fathers, Amen. Come on, let's say thank you for, for great fathers. Amen. We're we're in a series of messages called Wide Open Spaces, and uh, it is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, which in fact is a church that he has written two of his longest letters to. Uh, it's a church that he's emotionally invested in. Uh, it's a church that he cares a lot about. Actually, the, the Corinthian church in the first letter he wrote to them is the, the church that he said to them, you know, you have not many fathers. I'm your father. There's a lot of people who could teach you, but I am your, I am your father, Luke. And, um, uh, and he, he, so he's got this serious commitment to this church, which in fact is uh, a church that that needs a lot of work, is a group of people that need a lot of work. Corinth, in its day, when Paul is uh, pastoring these guys and writing these letters, is like Las Vegas. Uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Uh, it is immoral. It is unethical. It is wild and. The people that are actually in the church, uh, the Corinthian church, are those kind of people that are coming to God, and they're bringing all their stuff in with them, just like you bring all your stuff with you, and I bring all my stuff with me, uh, and, and church church is not a place for perfect people. <laughs> uh, church is a place for imperfect people that need the grace of God in their life, and, and so so, uh, so Paul is writing his two longest letters to this church that he's so invested in and that he cares so much about. And I think Second Corinthians is an interesting book because it, there's a posture that Paul has in this book that is pretty unique to me, considering that it's a church that has some really significant issues going on inside of it. And Paul's posture towards that church is not to fuss or to give them a set of rules, but his posture towards this church is to actually tell them the wide open spaces that God has for them. And I think sometimes we think that God wants to clamp down on us when in fact he really wants to reveal to us the wide open spaces he has for us. Uh, and that's what brings us into freedom, and that's what brings us into uh, a free spirit, and that's what brings us into liberty and being and becoming everything that God's called us to be. And, and I, I see Paul at this kind of unique season in his life, uh, speaking to this church that he is really invested in, and there are things that obviously seem to be working themselves out that are going on in, inside of him. He's kind of communicating out of this posture of what God is saying to him and what God is doing to him, addressing a church that really has a lot of issues, and the angle he takes is so unique to me, which is why I'm captured and why I want to spend a few weeks in this uh, great book. So today we're going to look at this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, I want to read a few verses and then share a few thoughts with you, I think will be helpful. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12 says this Therefore, having such a hope, um, we use great boldness in our speech. We're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Today I want to talk for a few moments about this idea, take off the mask. Take off the mask. Moses kept wearing a veil that he originally wore because God's glory was so great on him that people could not even look at him. He, the, the glory of God was shining so bright on this man that uh, people couldn't were afraid to look at him, and he used to put a, a veil over his face. And um, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, Genesis Exodus 34 is the story, and I don't want to read a few verses just to get context, but I want us to understand that this is actually the second time that God gave Moses uh, the, the Ten Commandments, wrote them on the stone tablets, because the first time Moses came down, he went up on the mountain for 40 days. God was with him. He didn't eat or drink, and he had this transfiguration, the transformation experience. God writes the Ten Commandments on these stone tablets. Moses comes down, and Aaron has let things go crazy. And uh, they are having this wild orgy party, and uh, they, are, they are forming this calf uh, out of gold earrings. And when Moses comes down, he goes, what's this with the calf? They've actually gone to worshiping this calf. And Aaron says, I don't know what happened. I, I just we, we, we just threw gold into the fire, and out came this calf, uh, which is about as good as most excuses actually sound. It's sort, of, it's sort of like when you ask somebody, you know, why weren't they in church? And you might as well just say, I ran out of peanut butter, because uh, one excuse is as good as another, really. Uh, and uh, and so, so Moses gets mad. Moses had an anger issue, and it's actually what disqualified him from taking God's people into the promised land. And he throws the stone tablets down on the ground, and now he's getting a second chance, which I think is remarkable even under the Old Covenant that God is still a God of the second chance. Anybody glad that God is a God of the second chance? And, and the third and the fourth. <laughs> but, uh, but I want us to look at this because I think it's worth, worth seeing this idea. Exodus 34, verse 29. It came about when Moses was coming down ...from Mount Sinai, this is the second time... ...and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand... ...as he was coming down from the mountain... ...that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone... ...because of his speaking with God, or with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses... ...behold, the skin of his face shone... ...and they were afraid to come near him. Moses called to them... And all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off that veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what it, him had commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Now, this is, this is an interesting commentary that Paul is making referring to this story. And he is saying this, that when Moses would come down from the mountain uh, in Exodus Uh, And in the months that followed that, he literally would wear this veil covering his face because of the glory of God that was shining through his life. But eventually, the veil that that hid the shining of the glory of God became a veil that hid the fading of the glory of God. In other words the veil became a mask. Uh, the, the veil, he kept what Moses, what uh, Paul is referring to here is that Moses was literally hiding behind this veil to make it continue to look like the glory was still on him and the glory was still on the old covenant and what he used at first to to cover up the shining of the glory he was starting to use as a mask to cover up the glory fading away i just want to announce to you that the glory fades on everything and the what what paul is teaching us here and really throughout all of his writing in the new testament is that The old covenant is faded away and old and has lost its glory, but the new covenant, the arrangement of relationship that God has given us through a relationship with Jesus is what has the glory of God on it. What what once was fresh and original can become stale and dated. What it's one of the reasons that we're literally renovating our church is because what was fresh 20 years ago is not fresh today, and what was fresh and new and alive in church 20 years ago, 20 almost 27 years ago, when we started our church, can become very stale and dated today. The thing that had glory on it, the glory fades. And it's easy to put on a mask and hide behind the glory of what used to be instead of living in the now. When you first get married, your love is ablaze. (laughs) And I hope you understand this in the right spirit, but the glory can fade. And you can start wearing a mask instead of learning how to be in love now. Today, with this person, who might be bigger than the person you married, might be. The glory can fade on just about everything. The shine can come off. The glory can fade on your walk with God. Just because you had a walk with God, doesn't mean you have a walk with God. Come on, the glory can fade on your personal style. I was, I was switching out my closet from uh, winter clothes to summer clothes actually just this past weekend And every time I do that, I'm always purging because there's stuff that I've got that I go, oh, my gosh, that style doesn't work anymore. It doesn't fit me (laughs) in more ways than one. It doesn't fit me the way that it fit me five years ago or 10 years ago. The, the The way you go about work the way you go about life, I'm saying to you, the glory can fade. And I want to encourage you, don't get caught hiding behind the mask of former glory. But learn to come into the new, now, fresh of God. Come on, that's a place to say a good amen. I hope we are aware that this is a new day. Uh, Culture is changing. The discussion of what's going on in this world is changing. From the day that we first started our church even to now, I believe that the way God is releasing his glory, releasing his presence, releasing himself into the earth is changing. How, how we communicate is changing. Now, people need almost everything in a soundbite. Attention spans are extremely limited. Somebody goes, wait, 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 you lost me. Uh <laughs> how the world hears is changing. And I th- this literally one of the scariest things in the world to me would be as a church that we would somehow rest on our past laurels. Uh, that somehow we would just settle in and say, this is good enough, good enough for us. When there are literally thousands and thousands of people in our community that are aching, that are hurt, that are lost, that are without hope, that are not going to heaven. And for us to kinda just settle in and wear the mask of a former glory, I promise you everything in my power, I will never let that happen. Uh, I will will keep this bus moving forward by the grace of God. Amen. Uh, I am never gonna settle in. And I'm never going to say this is good enough for us. Because if it was just about me, if it was just about you, then we could go, yeah, this is okay. This is good enough. And I'm grateful for everything God's done in us and through us and for us. And I'm grateful for for what we've been able to do as a church. But I never want to hide behind the mask of a former glory. Please hear what I'm saying because... This is, this is enormous. This is not just about having the newest. While the the world is moving on, God is moving on. And I don't want us to think that somehow culture is changing and God is not involved in that. That, that the conversation is changing and God is not involved in that. Don't ever think that the, the conversation now about terrorism or the conversation now about anything that you would want to bring up is escaping God's notice. I just want to remind you again that God is in charge of all of history, not just the church section, but all of history. And I want to remind you again that His purpose on this earth, will prevail. He is, God is not, I remember 20, 25 years ago, when communism was the big bad enemy, in a day, that turned around. I remember in the 70s, even though I was, I was pretty young, to really understand what was going on, our country was being torn to shreds, and we, there was a, a wonder if we were even going to survive as a nation. And I just want to say to you that God's purpose is going to prevail in this earth. God is over all. He's not just over church culture. He's over all of culture. And it is, it's our job to listen. It's our job to be relevant. And that doesn't mean just the style of clothes you wear, or the fact that now we have a video screen or whatever, or now we're streaming a service. I'm saying this, relevance has two directions. One is relevance to culture. In other words, we're not just disengaging from culture, but we're totally engaged with what's going on in culture but also relevance to heaven because there's nothing more relevant than what heaven is saying. And we walk with this hand up and this hand out kind of mentality to say, God, we don't ever want to just settle in to some kind of former glory and hide behind the mask of it and just say this is good enough for us. You are in charge of culture. You are in charge of history. You are in charge of this planet. You have something you want to say. We want to be able to say it in a way they can hear it, but we want to say what you're saying, not just what culture is saying. I remember a few years ago, I walked into a church in another city um, in, in our state that was having some meetings that were kind of intriguing to me, and I just wanted to explore what was going on, and, and I, I remember walking in this place, and it was just bizarre to me. Like, you, you walked in, and I felt like I was walking into 1982, and this wasn't 1982, and I mean, there were still you know plastic ferns, and there was a big oil painting of the founding pastor um, in the in the foyer of the church, and he was still the pastor. It just it just felt weird to me, and I'm all for honor and that sort of thing, but this was like bizarre. And and it was and you walked in, and, you, and there was this effort to try to stir up and uh, an old thing to try to go back to something. But can I just tell you, God is not going back. God is moving forward, and the church needs to be moving forward. I think one of my strangest experiences with this kind of thing was when I was in Bible college uh, at Christ for the Nations, uh, we were sent out, a couple of us, to go pick up a, a piece of equipment from a church. I think it was like a copy or, or something. Um, it's in Dallas, Texas. And, and we were sent to this church, this ministry, that had this huge campus, but it definitely, when we drove up, it looked kind of run down. And this is a church that had been full of life and full of vitality. And literally, the the pastor had created this worldwide radio ministry in the 50s and 60s and there were pictures all over of the of a packed house you know that uh, this church used to have and now all this church had was tapes of the pastor of the pastor from 30 years ago and literally their sunday morning service was tapes of his radio messages from 30 years ago being played on Sunday. (laughs) Welcome to the Twilight Zone. And you might think, that's crazy. But these guys were reaching for a former glory and hiding behind the mask rather than moving on to the new and the fresh that God wanted to do today. I just want to say to you, whatever arena of life, whether it's your own personal walk with God, or whether it's your involvement with us as a church family, or whether it's the way you relate to your spouse or your kids, or the way you go about work, or the way that you handle money, I don't know, whatever arena, never hide behind the mask of a former glory. That's what Paul is saying to us here. And then let me me read on Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14 and 15. Their minds were hardened, for until this day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over Their heart. The Bible says their minds were hardened. They were were stuck in their old ways. They They were stuck. And here's what he's addressing here. They were stuck in relating to God by the law. They were stuck in relating to God by the letter. And the Bible says that with a hardened mind, with a mindset that's hardened, they a veil was over their heart, a veil was over their mind. They were relating to God only by a set of rules. You can get stuck in a hardened mindset of any kind where, where you could say, Hey, listen, I've already made up my mind. Don't confuse me with the facts. I, I love the Mark Twain idea. It's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. What really gets you in trouble is what you think you know that's wrong. That person that's just adamant. Uh, and so Paul is is going after something here. That I really want us to see how vital this is because he's saying to them, they're stuck in this mindset that if you keep putting more rules and if you keep giving more commandments, somehow that's going to fix things. And he's saying they were so stuck in this, they kept piling rules on top of themselves. And he's appealing to the Corinthian church He's telling them a little bit earlier, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says, God's called you into life, not death. (laughs) He's called you into living, not just trying to obey the rules. I think we get this thing mixed up because... I think a hardened mindset says, if we take all the rules away, everybody's going to go crazy. But I just want us to see what I think Paul is after with a church that has a lot of issues. He is approaching them and saying, if you start living by the Spirit, you're not really reducing The standard you live by, you're actually gonna raise the standard you live by. Some people somehow think that living by the law is holier, but I wanna suggest to you and even point out to you that it's far better to stay alive and current in your relationship with God. ...than it is to put a list of rules on yourself. When, when we are living aware of his presence in our life... ...I think it changes what we say... ...what we do... ...what we look at... ...where we go... ...what we do or don't do. I gotta have a list of rules about how to be a good husband, paste them on my fridge. But I'll really be a good husband if I'm in touch with the presence and the mood of my wife. Come on, anybody understand what I'm saying? It's like when I'm really relating to her as a person and not doing a checklist on the rules. Let's see, rule number one, honey, I love you, check. Uh, Rule number two, (laughs) take the trash out. (laughs) We've had these little birds growing out in our uh, fern, and in the front, little birds growing, yeah, like eggs and birds and little bitty, all that. And, uh, and it's funny because that mom is so protective of those, those little baby birds, but if you walk by, the mom will take off. And I think sometimes walking with the Lord is, it's like having the Holy Spirit, the dove that's on your shoulder, and you're just trying to walk in a way that he stays, Right? which is a way better way to live than a set of rules. Living, living by the Spirit is not about reducing the standard we live by. It's about realizing that our standard is alive. We have a relationship. We're trying to, we're trying to maintain and grow and deepen that relationship with God. I'm not just checking off what I did or didn't do. I'm alive and aware to the now of God. Come on. Sometimes you got to take off the mask of just saying, well, I did the rules and be aware of the presence of God. Anybody hear what I'm saying today? And then further on, it says this, 2 Corinthians 3.16. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Everybody say liberty. This, this is, I mean, this is so important to me. This has been like a value for our church. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to give you a free spirit. John eight thirty six. If therefore the son shall make you free. Everybody say free free. If the Son will give you liberty, you shall be free indeed. God is more concerned with setting you free than setting you straight. Christianity is not just a set of rules to obey. Christianity is living a life empowered by the help of God. If you were were going going to try to understand one of the main things that our church is about, I just said it. Christianity is not living by a set of rules. It's learning to live a life that's empowered, lifted by the help of God. Paul wrote this entire letter to the Galatians. I mean, it was all about this. Galatians 5, one. It was for freedom. It was for liberty. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom. Brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Jesus came to set you free. You were called to be free. You were called to be liberated. You were called to have a free spirit. I think sometimes when we start talking about freedom, we start thinking about freedom as, yeah, I can do whatever I want to do. And that is not what true freedom is. True freedom is the ability to, to become who you were called to become. Come on, true freedom is not just a license for being selfish or greedy or lustful. True freedom is a freedom to be everything that God's called you to be. Christian life is a life of liberty. You're set free and from hang-ups. <laughs> You're set free from insecurities. You're set free from pettiness. You're set free from guilt-ridden living. You're set free from stinginess. You're set free from being oh, so occupied with small, insignificant issues. Set free from arguing on Facebook. Come on. Just post a picture of your babies. You're set free from feeling like you have to be in control of other people. Come on, it's a life of liberty. It's a life of freedom. Verse 18, finally, let's just close that with this idea. We all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I love this idea. We are transformed as we behold the Lord. And, and this passage literally says, like, we're looking in a mirror. Now, we're going to read this passage in James in just a moment, but the Bible calls the Word of God a mirror. The mirror of the Word. You're looking in the mirror. Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word is Jesus made clear. Can I say that again? Jesus is the Word made flesh. So if you want to look at Jesus, you've got to look at the Word. But the Word is Jesus made clear. Because I want to say, if we didn't have the clarity of the Word of God, we would keep remaking Jesus in our image. We would keep making. We would keep making a god that suits us. I think this is. I think this is interesting. There was a, a survey done. The um, uh, and I don't want to kind of push on the value of exposure to the word of God on a regular basis. The Pew Survey Research asked this question and asked people to fill in the blank. Blank is an essential part of being a Christian. 42% of American Christians put, found that reading their Bible was an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. 42% look in the mirror at all. So that means 58% aren't really reading their Bible, aren't really looking in the mirror to figure out who they are or what they have or how they're supposed to think. I, just to go a little further, because it's fascinating to me, this survey, there were a lot of things. There literally was 14%... That said, essential to being a Christian is buying from companies that are ethical. Yay. Glad to know the powerhouse. (laughs) 35% of American Christians found that attending church is essential. One-third. One-third thought it was essential to go to church to be a Christian. Now I know why the battlefield's uphill. Twenty-eight percent said, "Actually, serving in your church is an essential part of being Christian." So that means that almost three quarters of the church is uninvolved in helping the church be the great bride that God has called her to be wow I hope you understand we don't read the Bible or go to church or serve in church to earn points but we don't we don't read the Bible to earn points God I read my three chapters today we read the Bible to look in the mirror. And I would suggest that might not be bad to do on a daily basis. Because your hair might have looked good yesterday, but you might want to get a look in the mirror today. <laughs> so yeah, doesn't matter, don't have any hair. I'm worried. James 1 22 says this. Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. But once he's looked at himself and walked away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But I want you you to notice how the language is so similar to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3 here. One who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. We look in the mirror to see who we really are. We look in the mirror to see how we should really think. We look in the mirror to build our faith every day. We look in the mirror to store worship. We look in the mirror to dispel fear. I look in the mirror of the Word and I see in the mirror I'm blessed. I'm loved. I'm favored. That's who I am. I look in the mirror to see God is for me. I look in the mirror to see I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I look in the mirror to see that no weapon that's formed against me can ever prosper. I look in the mirror to see that all things work together for my good. And I can't wear the mask of having read my Bible last month and know what I look like today. See, I, here's the amazing thing to me about, about your Bible, my Bible. I don't when I read the word, the word reads me. <laughs> it's living. It speaks to me. with unveiled face. The mask is off. No pretense, no pretending, no bravado, nothing to prove to God, no self-effort. But here's what I want to say to you, church. Keep looking in the mirror. Keep looking at Jesus. When I keep looking at Jesus... I keep seeing the me that I am in Jesus. Transformation, and we all want transformation somewhere in our life, it's not self-effort. It's not self-help. It's It's the Holy Spirit working the desires of God into my heart. It's it's my want-to starts changing. I think we hide behind the mask when we're afraid to be known. I think we hide behind the mask when we feel like we won't be loved for who we really are. And I'm, I'm here today to encourage you to take off the mask of pretending, of striving, of hiding, and allow yourself to be transformed and to who he made you to be. I want to pray with you today. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. Father, as we come before you today, thank you for, the, for life. Praying for every person in this room today. Father, as we look at maybe places we're hiding, maybe places we're wearing a mask, Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in our walk with you. Whatever it might be. Give us the courage just to take off the mask. Look straight into the face of Jesus. (laughs) Lord, every person loved by you, wanted by you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna give you this opportunity to open up your heart, maybe even to take off the mask. Just open your heart to God. If you've never really given your life to Christ, i love to pray with you. If you're here today and you say, you know, I used to be close to the Lord, but really the glory's faded. <laughs> the shine is gone. I, I know I need to come into something that is present, that is now or maybe you just feel unsure about where you stand, I would love to pray with you. No one's looking around. If you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? more important than me praying with you is you signaling to God. If you say, I wanna give my life to Christ or I know I need to come back to him or I wanna be sure I'm right with him, I just want you to lift your hand right now all over this room. Say, yeah, that's, that's me, I need Jesus, God bless you. Thank you, anybody else? Just sit, come on right now, God bless you thanks, right where you are you're not gonna you're not gonna surprise God with who you are and what's wrong with you (laughs) what's right with you he loves you just like you are right now wants to take you in anybody else just say I really know I need to open my heart to God today Thank you. Let's pray together. This is for everyone who lifted their hand, but I just would love for all of us to pray this prayer out loud. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your Lordship. I need you. I want you as Lord of my life. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning. As I receive Jesus as the Lord of my life, help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Amen.